Well, hello, and welcome to this episode of Earnest Content. We greet you in the name of Jesus, and we're so glad you're here with us. We are excited to to talk today uh, about the foundation. What is a foundation? Is a foundation needed? What makes up a foundation? And really, a foundation of what? A foundation for what? You know, are we going to be talking about how to build a skyscraper or a cabin or a boathouse? Or are we going to talk about how to lay certain foundations in certain terrains? Or is it something deeper than that, something more important than that? Well, first, let's consider the saying of Jesus. This uh, portion, Matthew, Matthew 24 through 27, this is at the very conclusion of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And he wraps up his countercultural message with making this simple point through this profound parable. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So we look at this parable, we look at this instance, and we we wonder, huh, what? What was the difference between the wise and the foolish? When you really, if you were to kind of split up that that portion of scripture and you were to look at the wise and what happened to the wise and the foolish and what happened to the foolish, you even see that the storm is the exact same. It's the same storm that, that hit the wise is the same storm that hit the foolish. But why did the house of the foolish man fall and the house of the wise man stand well there was only one difference and it was what the house was built upon it was the foundation now Jesus in his earthly life he was the son of a carpenter and he himself was a carpenter so maybe some that day thought oh he's just giving good instruction on how to build a house because certainly he would have known how to however the the nature of the parable was it's a deeper truth to those who want it Jesus isn't talking about building a physical house he's talking about how to build your life the foundation for your soul so the difference is was hearing the words of the Lord and doing them versus hearing and not doing them. So so we see that it's the uh, it's the word of God, the the sayings of Jesus displayed in an action, building, physically doing. To use the parable the Lord displayed, having the words of Jesus would be as having the building materials for a foundation. Um, and doing them would be using those materials. Whereas for the foolish it would be having those materials for the right foundation but not using those materials, not 
doing what was proper to set a foundation. In all reality, it's it's impossible to build something upon nothing. Even in the the common saying um, that that something was built from the ground up. Even in that saying, if there was no ground, uh, there could be no building, right? So, it's not a matter of do we have a foundation for our lives. The matter is what is the foundation for our lives. And Jesus, he's he's given us hope here, saying that this is how you can build to withstand the storms of life, to withstand the difficulty and the pain, even protection from night. When you look at what does a house really do? It keeps you warm. It keeps you safe. It keeps you protected. It doesn't just keep you in. It also keeps things out. Well, on a sunny day, the fool's house still still worked. But when the storm came, and storms always come, that's when we need a good foundation. So what is this very thing that we can build upon? It's the sayings of Jesus. But it's not just this little portion of Scripture in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And however, it's, it's the entirety of Scripture. Well, what, what's so important about Scripture? What makes the Bible Scripture? Is there something different about the Bible? Because it's not about just the portion that Jesus said, those sayings, or even just the Gospels alone, but the very words of God. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we need every word that, that God has spoken. David said in Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. If we don't have the word of God in our heart, we have no hope of a righteous life, a pleasing life unto God. We have no hope of protection from this world and the influences of this world and the temptations of this world. Well, what portions of Scripture are inspired? Well, what do we mean by, by inspiration? Well, if we look at two certain Scriptures, because we, like, we let the Bible speak to the Bible. We let Scripture speak to Scripture. Because we don't want what man has to say. We want what God has to say. So, let's look at these two portions of Scripture. Um, in Second Peter 1 and 21, and in Second Timothy 3.16. Second Peter 1 and 21, uh, it shows us the nature of inspiration. Um, and Second Timothy 3.16 shows us the contents of inspiration. Second Peter 1, 20 through 21 Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What is prophecy? You know, oftentimes when we hear prophecy, we think of even in a, in a Christian mindset or, or even in a, a pagan mindset, a prophet was someone who could foretell the future. That, that's kind of how the world showed prophets. If you look in like the ancient Greek myths or or whatnot, you always see it really dramatized with a crystal ball or, 
or something like that, looking into the future, trying to foretell. But the Bible's different. The Bible doesn't show prophets looking into a crystal ball to find what the aspects and meanings of life are. But the Spirit of God came upon a man or a woman. And from that, there was an anointed utterance. Not all prophecy was foretelling, talking about future events, but prophecy was also foretelling in those instances of thus saith the Lord, something current, something specific, what God had to say about a situation immediately. So prophecy is both foretelling and foretelling, but really prophecy is just an anointed utterance, if it be spoken or written or read, right? So the Bible I mean, Peter here calls all scripture that, but the prophecy came not at all time. So where Peter draws this dividing line is this specific utterance came not from the will of man, but it was by the will of God. So why does this matter? What's the difference for something to have come from God or something to come from man? Because when we really look at man and we really examine man, generically humans, we're capable of some pretty incredible things. Certain men and women and the things that they've done in their lives, the creations they've, they've created, the, the works of art and the pieces of music. So think of Beethoven or Mozart. Surely they were inspired to write those pieces of music. Uh, musicians looking at a sunset over the ocean or a mountainside in the morning have been inspired to write pieces of music. Also consider even speeches. Martin Luther King Jr., he was inspired to write some of his speeches because of the turmoil in, that was going on during the Civil Rights Movement. Speeches like, I have a dream and I've been to the mountaintop. Now certainly humans themselves, we've, we've been inspired to do things and we've also done things to inspire others. But is this the same type of inspiration that, that comes from God upon his scripture? Absolutely not. And why, you may ask? Well, consider the sources. Consider the, the sources of the inspiration. So to know the difference between the inspiration of men and the inspiration of God, you have to know the difference between man and God. So to just put it generically, uh, in order for God to be God and man to be man, God is holy, pure, uh, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present at every point in time. And man is sinful, defiled. We lack power. We are only present in one point at one moment in time. So if you were to just make a chart about this and just use the generic view of God. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-good. But you compare man to that. Whereas God is all-knowing, we are in need of learning. If we did not go to school to receive education, or if we were not taught how to do something, we would 
for one, either never know or we would have to self-educate ourselves to do that. Either way, at one point in time, we don't have the knowledge to do it. And we are thus in need of it. Whereas God is all-powerful and he can do all things by the word of his mouth were all things created. We are weak in our own strength. When you really think about what can we do, what are we able to really, really do? How strong are we? Not just physically, but also mentally. Well, a pretty good example is at the end of every day, we have to sleep. And if we don't sleep, we, we can only go so far in a week without with minimal or no sleep. Also, if we go beyond three days of water or say around 10 to 15 days of food without any nutrients, we would die from starvation because we're dependent on nutrients and strength. But God is all powerful. God is in need of nothing nor no one. He is independent. God, he's, he's all present. He fills every space in the universe. Simply put, we're, I'm confined to the chair that I'm sitting in right here, right now. I can't be here in this moment and in Australia at the same moment. I am confined to time. I'm confined to this place in this moment. God is all good. Everything he does is good. The earth is full of his goodness. Whereas man, we are deceitful. Who we are internally, who we are in our intentions, our thoughts. Left to ourselves, we only care about ourselves. We only want what pleases us, what makes us happy, what seems right in our own eyes. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So our very heart, naturally, is corrupt. We are sinners, whereas God is pure. God has never erred. He's never lacked. He's never failed. He's never lost. He's never been defeated. But also, he's never, he's never sinned. He's never done anything wicked or evil. He is good. And all that he does is good. And the earth is full of his goodness. So if we look at a scripture, uh, 1 Samuel 23, 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So what's this speaking of? Of course, it's not speaking about God coming in flesh. It's not talking about the incarnation of God, but it's speaking about the very nature and the substance of the beings. So the very difference between who God is in his character and attributes and in the heart of God or in the mind of God versus who man is in his character and his attributes in the very heart of man and in the very mind of man. The Lord is not a man that he should lie. He is other than man. Whereas 
we are prone to sin. He can never sin. So if God is not a man, nor is he like a man, but he is other than man, then that means that God's inspiration is vastly different than our inspiration. Anything inspired or produced by man is then it comes from the source of man, so it's not perfect. It is tainted. It is defiled. It's limited. It lacks complete goodness. It lacks complete power. It lacks complete wisdom. Yet, that which is inspired of God is eternal, is unfailing, is perfect, and is true because it comes directly from the mind, from the being of the eternal, unfailing, perfect, only wise God. 